You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. On today's sermon, Pastor Josh continues our summer series by walking us through Psalm 34. We pray that God's Word will speak to you today, whether to bring comfort, conviction, or just to remind you of His presence. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Good. Amen. If you have your word, would you open to Psalm 34? Psalm 34 is our text for today. Uh, As you are turning there, I just simply want to remind you of of something we say often. You see it around our church. Matter of fact, when we get into our August sermon series, you are going to hear a lot more of it. But our aim here at Broadmoor is to be a united family of faith, joining Jesus on his mission for the glory of God and the good of our communities. The reason I bring that up is not to start that sermon series a few weeks early, uh, but it's to, to remind you and to remind myself constantly that we are glory getters and glory givers to God. And that is kind of our aim in in all of life, that when we take breath every day, when we wake up every morning, and Scripture says His mercies are new in those moments, we are gifted a new day. And that day is to be spent doing so many different things because God has gifted us in so many different and unique ways. But no matter the unique gifting, no, no, no matter the specific task that he's called you to, the purpose is still the same. The purpose for your life and my life is to gather glory for God and give that glory to God. And now as we look to this today, we, we are going to see very specifically how King David is going to do that. Uh, and, and as we look to this, there, there's a, a few things I want us to remember. Um, that when we think of the word glory... I know that's maybe a church word or or maybe a seminary word or a theological word at least, but this this idea, remember, glory is a weighted term. It's a term for for like whenever you you hold something and you were to pick something up, if, if this were empty and this were full, when you pick it up and it's full, it feels heavier, it feels like it has substance to it. And so you would, you would say that there is something to this. It is not empty. It is not void. It, it, it is not uh, something that is counterfeit. This is the real deal. And so we find that thing and we would give to it worth. That, that's glory. That's real. That's authentic. And then from that moment, once we get the glory, once, once we collect it, then what we say as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is we say, Lord, this glory belongs to you. Now, silly illustration with a water bottle and lifting it high, and it's more like this, that as we are going throughout our life, there are times that we experience things that we see, or we experience things in our own life that we say, whoa, that was real. Like, like I, I know we experience life every day, but something about that moment, something about that interaction, something about what just went down, that is different, that is glorious. And then there's a choice to make. And that choice, it is this. We can take that glory and say, it's ours. I'm going to take that that authenticity. I'm going to take that wow moment, and I'm going to put it on myself. And I want everybody to look at me and say, wow, Josh, that's awesome. You're awesome. That would be me stealing glory. But instead of Christians, we are called to take that glory and not put it on ourselves, but to lift it high and give it to the one that that glory is due, and his name is Jesus. 
And what we say is, we found this glory. We've seen this glory. You have put glory everywhere. And we give this glory back to you. And we point others towards you. And so today, when we get to Psalm 34, it's going to be a lot different than we, we looked at Psalm 23 last week. Psalm 23, a much more somber psalm. This is, is really a more lighthearted, more upbeat, and honestly, just an exciting psalm to preach because there is so much here in Psalm 34. But to get the glory in Psalm 34, to get the weight, to feel it, you need the backstory of what David is speaking to here. Now, as we look to this today, I want you to notice that in your Bible, this psalm doesn't necessarily start in verse 1. This psalm starts what many people would call verse 0. Look, look with me if you will. We'll, we'll read it together. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that when he drove him out and he went away. Now, a lot of times I know that's just like a heading that you would see over other things. And you would say, well, that's just the heading. We're getting to the real verse. So, so this is part of the real verse. It would just kind of be the heading that the, the psalmist David here puts because he wants us to have context as to why this psalm is written, all right? So as we look to this, we are reminded of something, okay? So, so we are reminded here, if you read this and you go back and, and do some Old Testament work, 1 Samuel chapter 21 is where we're going to go. So I want you to hold your place here in Psalm 34. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna stay here for a majority of our time today, but in the beginning, I want us to go back to, to 1 Samuel 21. As you were looking to that, let me, let me just set it up for you, okay? As you were looking to that, I'm going to add, and this, this is taking pastoral liberty here, that maybe a thought that David is going to have as he is about to write this psalm, and it would be something like this, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you, but I still need to tell you about what my God just did. That, that, that would be another heading that potentially could have went before that. I think that would have been a better heading, but who am I to say what would have been better and not? Just a few things before we jump in. There, there's going to be a word here that may be kind of tricky, okay? Um, when you look at the verse zero or, or the heading of Psalm 34, it says that he changed his behavior before Abimelech, okay? Abimelech isn't mentioned in 1 Samuel 21, but another name for Abimelech is, that is Achish. Achish in 1 Samuel 21 is the king of Gath. I'll explain more to that in just a second. But Abimelech means the king of my father, or my father's king, which is another name for Achish, who is the king of Gath, who is the king in Goliath, the giant Philistine's hometown. All of that's going to be really important in just a second, okay? So let us set the stage for this awesome psalm that we're about to jump into. We pick up in Psalm, or in 1 Samuel 21, where David has already killed Goliath, that's already happened, but he's not yet the king. So at this time, Saul is the king of, uh, of Israel. But at this time already, Saul has been rejected by God. So if you're following along in 1 Samuel, if you've never read that, you kind of have this account of, of, of Samuel, who is the prophet, who anoints David, but, but also chronicles the, the, the storyline as it's going to unfold. So we see Saul is going to be the very first king of Israel, and, and then he ends up losing God's anointing. We go to, to, you don't have to go there, but just know where it is. 1 Samuel 15, he gets rejected by God. So 
Israel is growing more fond day by day to, to David, and they, they are calling for him to be the king. He is the anointed and the appointed one, but he's not yet king. But also, in that same vein, Saul's hatred for David is growing each day as well. At this point, Saul is on the hunt for David to kill him because he feels like he's a threat to the throne, and he is. So David comes to this place called Nob, where he meets Ahimelech, the priest, not to be confused with Abimelech, who's actually Achish. Everybody tracking? Great. David asks the priest, who is Ahimelech, the priest, for bread. And the priest looks at him and says, I don't have regular bread, but I have the bread of presence. Now, this is a whole other sermon for a whole other day. The bread of presence is the bread that goes into the temple, the, the one that nobody touches. But at the end of the day, when, when, when it is, it's over and it's expired, the, 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 there's certain rules and, that have to apply for that bread to, to be given out. And, and David and his men fit that, that, that description. And, and so Ahimelech, the priest, gives David and his men this bread. And so when David receives the bread and he, he hands it out to his men and they eat and they're ready for the journey that's ahead of him, David looks at Ahimelech the priest and asks for weapons. Do you have a sword or a spear or, or anything here that, that I may have? And the priest says, this is kind of comical in 1 Samuel 21, well, do you remember that guy named Goliath, you know, that guy you killed? I have a sword sitting right here. Do you want it? David's response, quote, give it to me. David, knowing that Saul was after him and getting closer by today, he has now bread pack and Goliath's sword at his side. He decides to run away. This is where things begin to get strange. He decides to run away to Gath, which is out of Saul's territory, which is good. But it's into the heart of the Philistines' territory, which is not so good. And to make matters worse, he goes to the hometown of the giant that he killed, and now carries his sword into that town. It is here that David meets Achish, the king of Gath. So there's this idea that, that David is just trying to blend in. His goal wasn't to meet the king. That's just simply how they met. You'll see that in just a second. The goal was just simply to blend in. But the servants of Achish are looking around and they say, aren't you David? And then they, they quote this song. Says, so this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him and, the, and dance? Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. First, first Samuel 21 verse 12 says this. David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish. David had been found out. His plan didn't work. He knew that Samuel, the prophet, that the book that, that this is accounted for in. He knew that he had anointed him and knew that he had appointed him. He, he knew that, that there was this prophecy over his life that he would become the king of Israel that God would be pleased with. But now he gets to a place where Saul, the king of, of Israel, is trying to kill him. And now he is in the heart of the enemy territory in Gath, and now Achish, the king of Gath, wants to kill him as well. There is nowhere for him to turn, nowhere for him to run to. What's he going to do? How would God intervene? What would God do? 
And this is where the story gets really crazy, okay? 1 Samuel 21, verses 13 through 15, I ask you to follow along. So he, that's David, changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. I don't care what story it is. If you say spittle, it's going to be a good story. As we see here, this is what's going on. You have Saul chasing this way. You're in the heart of the enemy territory. You have Achish right here. David is in the king's court. What does he do? He acts like his mind has left him. And essentially what he does is he starts acting like a wild animal. And he jumps up on the doorpost of the temple and starts scratching and clawing and spitting and allowing foam to run down his beard, acting like he is outside of his mind. Then Achish said to his servants, verse 14, Behold, you see this man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David acted crazy, absolutely out of his mind, and it worked. Achish let him go. So David could have patted himself on the back and said, wow, I'm so clever. I got myself out of that terrible situation. But that's not what he did. And that's where we pick back up in Psalm 34. So if you have your copy of God's word, go to Psalm 34 and we kick off in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will I will, bless, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. All right, so these are the words of a man who remembers vividly. So, so now at this point in writing Psalm 34, David has become king. So now he looks back on his life and he begins to, to write a song that is going to remind the people of Israel of God's faithfulness. And that faithfulness may come in ways that we think it will, and it may come in very, very strange ways. But God is faithful nonetheless. And so what he says here is, is we are going to bless the Lord at all times. But before he, he, we get there, I want us to, to focus on verse 3. Because verse 3 is kind of the heart of this entire psalm. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. To magnify is much like glorify. To hold something up so others can see the beauty and the authenticity of that thing. But it's different in the sense that magnify has an understanding and a specific and measured action. Don't think magnify in the sense of making something small seem bigger than it actually is. That's not ever the case with God. But instead, think magnify, making something humongous, but for many seemingly as far off. And now you bring it close for them to see just how truly big and majestic that it is. So not a microscope making something small large, but instead a telescope, making something large and far away, up close and known. So telescope, not microscope. Got it. Great. How do we do that? How do we magnify God? Well, verses 1 and 2 give us that answer. I will bless the Lord at all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. So so what we see here, David sets the stage. He says, look, we are called to, to be magnifiers of God's glory. We want people to see. They may feel that God is distant. They may feel that God is far off. But it is our job, our responsibility, our privilege to take God and all that he can be known as, and we bring him near to all, and we show him off. That is to magnify the Lord. Well, how do we do that? Do, is, there, is there like a, a Lifeway telescope that we go pick up for half price this week? No. What we see here, David says that we will bless the Lord at all times, that his praise shall continually be in my mouth. The words you say will magnify what you love the most. Now, as I studied through that this week, that was a little bit of a hard pill to swallow. Your words will always magnify what you love and cherish the most. So for David, especially as he recounts what what, what happens, how the Lord saved him from Achish and and Saul at the time, that that no doubt as he went, he's like, you're not going to believe, let me tell you this story, you're not going to believe what happened. I lost my mind and God used it for his glory. That's wild. What did you spend your week talking about? What, what did you spend the most precious time with your family talking about? To the people that you knew were hurting, what did you spend your time talking to them about? This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't something to lay. It's, it's just something to, to sober us up and to allow us to see that we have been given, given, listen to this, by God, given the privilege to glorify his name, to magnify his glory. And we do that by what we say. Are we doing that, church? That's what we're called to do. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be on my mouth, and my soul makes boast in the Lord. This is huge for me, church, because this is a struggle that I have. What does your soul boast in? Where do you find your worth? David says, my soul boasts in the Lord, because if it's not for the Lord, I'm not even alive. And so that's the story that he tells over and over and over again. He says, let the humble hear and be glad. So the next four verses, verses four through seven, David shows us this very thing. Look, look, look with me. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver him. So from David's testimony comes another well-known verse that invites the hearer, and in this case, the singer, to a more personal experience with Yahweh, the covenant-keeping name of God. Look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. See, the invitation is to come and to experience for yourself the goodness and the blessing of God. So, so hear me out. This, this speaks a lot to our evangelism. Our goal isn't just to say, hey, I want you to see what God has done for me and then let that be it. We invite the hearer to come and taste for themselves the goodness and the blessing of God. 
And I know a lot of times you may feel like, well, Josh, I can tell my story, but it's that whole inviting in that I'm uncomfortable with because I don't know how to do that rightly. Did somebody with a seminary education lead you to the Lord? Did somebody who have had years of, of, of training lead you to the Lord? Or was it some faithful person who had no seminary training a day in their life just open God's word and say, this is what he's done for me and this is what he can do for you. Come taste and see. More than likely, a majority of us across this room, we were led to faith in Christ by somebody who was also led to faith in Christ. It's a, it's a simple but, but kind of... Hear it this way. It is as if we are used to be hungry beggars. We were starving. And somebody showed us where food was. And we ate until we were full. And we ate until our hearts rejoiced. And then we left and we encountered another hungry beggar. And we went to them and said, hey, brother, I don't have food for you here, but I can tell you where you can get it. Come and follow me. That's the picture that David has here. He is going to tell a story of God's faithfulness, but he's not going to leave it there. He's going to invite him in and say, I want you to taste for yourself. I want you to see for yourself that the Lord is good and his blessings are true. But it's hard for us to invite people into that if we've never experienced it. So the question that we wrestle with this morning, I know we're churched, you're here. I know we're religious because of where we live. Have you tasted and seen his goodness? Do you, have you ever experienced his blessing and know how great that is? If so, then you have a story to tell, my friend. And I pray that you would never get tired of telling that story. Look at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. He is the Lord. We are his saints. David then gives this powerful illustration. Look at verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So young lions are strong, ambitious, filled with promise, but even they want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord, they'll never lack something good, something that the Lord has for them. If the Lord wants for them to have it, they're going to get it. But here's the issue with the young lion illustration. You may think that you can do this life on your own, for you are ambitious, you are strong, you are smart, you are filled with promise. The problem is you can't do this life on your own. You may think that you're strong enough or smart enough. You're not. We need God. We need his strength. We need his wisdom. We need his blessing. David tells us, what this life surrendered to God could look like. Look at verse 11 and following. Come, O children, and listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So, so David says, come, come to God in his presence. There is no need to lie 
or to speak deceitfully. So turn away from that. Turn away from evil and instead do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because those other things are going to take from you where when we do good and we follow God's will for our life, it is going to breathe life and blessing into us. Now, if we know that to be true and we see what David is saying, this is what it means to fear the Lord. That Paul, Paul would say it this way in the New Testament. If God is for us, who could ever stand against us? All right. Now, when we, when we get to Romans, when, when we were going through that, and we got to that passage, like, like, much like what we just, like, there's, there's a hearty, resounding, yes, I, I agree with that. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? All right, here, here's the deal, and here's where I struggle with this, right? Yeah, but why do we still feel the need to fight the battle anyway? If, if, if there's no, like, like, even if it's a non-factor, like we know God has said we are blessed, yet we have people or enemies or whatever you want to categorize it as saying, no, you are not blessed. Why do we feel the need to, to quip back with a response when we know what God has already said is definitive? And so what we are invited to do is to come out of the fight, out of the fray, and sit and rest and blessing, but instead, what we have a tendency to want to do is to jump in the fight because we like it. Misery must love company, and we love it all. But David says, I want to, I want to teach you what it means to fear the Lord. Your mouth is not meant for lying. Your mouth is not meant for running people down or speaking deceitfully. Your mouth is meant for magnifying God. Why would we do anything else with it? It's not like you have one story and you're tired of telling it. If you've been alive longer than 10 minutes, you've got 10,000 stories already. Because God's faithfulness is just that good. Why so much confidence in him? Why, why, why should we say, okay, what God has said is done, it's definitive, it's over, and I don't need to jump into the fray. I'm going to save my words, not for the fight, but for the glory. Why? Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears are towards their cry. Um, without oversimplifying this. I watch my, my youngest, Lydia, she's three, and I've seen this in Marijoy, and I've seen this in Gideon as they were younger, not so much now, but Lydia gets nervous when she thinks she's alone, and if she goes outside, because outside's the scary world where there's a giant fence and a bunch of dogs, I don't know, but she gets nervous, and she'll say, will you come outside and watch me, and then all I have to do, begrudgingly, Let's get out of my recliner, walk out legitimately, if you've seen our house, three feet, and stand on the back porch and watch her and her actions change. She's no longer fearful. She's not looking at the fence. She's not looking across the way. She's not wondering what's at the top of the clubhouse because she knows daddy's there and daddy hears her and daddy sees her, so she's okay. That's what David says here. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Do you believe that your Father in heaven actually is who he says he is? Do you believe that he is doing what he said and has promised to do? That he sees you and hears you and knows you and loves you? Because if you believe that, then there is no more fear. 
But if you don't believe that, then there's fear that lives just about right here. We wrestle with it every single day. And if I could be just cards on the table, I still wrestle with that fear sometimes. And I'm thankful to go back to this psalm. I'm thankful to go back to teaching like this. I'm thankful that this psalm was written not to be read but, one, but to be read one time, but to be sung over and over and over again. Why? Because we needed to have constant reminders over and over and over again in our life. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears are towards their cry. He sees them and he hears them. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil and cut off the memory of them from this earth. Do you believe that God will have the final say? When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. God is the deliverer of his people. He does see them, hear them, has them, and loves them. If that wasn't awesome enough, God isn't just the authoritative defender or just the deliverer. But he's also the empathetic healer. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I love this verse, and in so many ways, this is how I have personally tasted and seen that the Lord was good. This may sound strange, but this experience, my experience of tasting through this, this, this verse has usually come through unanswered prayers and unfulfilled desires. I would be praying towards something or to a certain end, and seemingly God would give me the answer that I always hate to hear, no or not yet. And those answers would honestly break my heart. And left long enough in those situations with those no and not yet answers, my spirit would become more and more crushed. But what I found, that in those hard situations, the Lord was near. He never left me. And what I found in those moments has become infinitely more valuable to me. I found that his presence is far better than anything I was praying for. Listen, you will hear me say this often because I believe it with all that I am. I believe that God is sovereign over all things. What I mean by that is I don't believe that God is ever caught off guard by anything that's ever happened to you or to me or will happen to us. I can't tell you that I am at peace with how some of those things have shaken out just yet, but I'm working towards it. Therapy is a great help. But I do know he is sovereign, that he knows me, that he sees me and hears me that he loves me. But I want you to see how the psalm ends in this sovereign display. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. We are running shorter on time today, and I wish we could camp out here. Here's why. I think many of us are led to believe or we want to believe that just because we belong to God, therefore, we are endowed with blessing that bad things can't happen to us. That's not true. We are, we are trusted with the grace and the blessing that his, his presence will be with us and never leave us nor forsake us. Like, we can trust that. But what this says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. 
Not just a little, not just some, but many are the afflictions. But that's not the promise I want you to hang your hat on. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. Whatever your affliction, whatever your situation, God sees and hears, and he's going to deliver you. Oh, but please hear me, hear me with all that you are. That may not be how you desire it to be. You may not get what you desire on this side of eternity, but when we get to the next side of eternity, all of it's going to make sense. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver them out of them all. Verse 20, he keeps all of his bones, not one of them are broken. The Lord holds you in his hand. Every bit of you, every tear you've ever cried, every hurt you've ever experienced, God has it. Verse 21. An affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate righteousness will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Listen to that again. None of those who take refuge in God will ever be condemned. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, church, this is our story. That's just one bit of the story. These verses don't promise ease. They they, They don't promise everything that your heart desires, but they do promise redemption over every aspect of your life as we have trusted it to the Lord. We come to him and take refuge in him and And in his refuge, we we watch and we wait to see how he will will and work for his glory and our good. And then when he does, church, verse 3 again. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So as our worship team comes and we move into a time of response, I pray that many of our conversations this week We'll begin with someone else by saying something like this. You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. But I've got to tell you what God's done for me. Your testimony of what God has done and is doing is the way in which much of the world will ever get its first taste of God's goodness. So don't hold back. Your story is his glory. So tell it with boldness and excitement. I think what I love most about Psalm 34 here is that it's not polished. Like David could have left that opening, that that verse zero off. Because as you look back to it, it's not a heroic moment for David, at least seemingly. He's on the run from Saul knowing that he is the rightful king, so why doesn't he just stay and trust God? Then he goes into the land of the enemy, gets caught, and acts a fool. Why didn't he just stay stoic, king-like, and say, do you under, much like he was with Goliath, do you not understand who you're speaking to? Whose we are? He lost his mind, started scratching the doorpost. He started foaming at the mouth on purpose and letting it run down his beard. Probably not his greatest moment. But what he did, instead of hiding it, is he put it on display. Because in that moment, who got the glory was God and not him. Now I'm curious across this room, 
because I'm also curious in my own heart. Why do we think that the, the, the presentation that we need to give to the world is something polished and all sewn up? When it's God has used from eternity's beginning to eternity's end, the brokenness of our lives to bring him the most glory. So I want to encourage you, church. I know this is bold, and I know this is going to be hard for you, but I want you to hear it. Don't hide the imperfections, for in the imperfections, they're going to see the perfection of your Father. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Allow the world to see the light shine through all of our brokenness. So this week, tell the story. Tell the story of God's faithfulness to you. No matter how silly it may seem, no matter how exposing it may be to you, and say, I don't want people to know I'm actually, like, I've never clawed the door, and if you have, tell that story. It's in here, out of my work. Tell the story. So let me tell you the flip side of that. When we try to put on ourselves that we are all calm and collected, we have life all together. We have no questions, no doubt, no fear, no, no, no struggle. We put a false glory on that's not ours. We magnify ourselves. And here's the issue, and I believe this is true right now across our world, but I think this has been true for a long time. I know this is true for you. When we put on that glory, we begin to magnify ourselves. And guess what? I don't like what I look like at regular size. When we invite people in to see the, the deep darkness of us and we say, hey, this is who we really are and we're all by ourselves," that's a rough day. When we were saying that, that we're, we're the glorious nature in it. But instead what we do is we say, hey, I'm broken. But I want to show you the glory. I want to magnify the one who's taken my brokenness and put it all back together. It may not be like I thought it should be, but it's better than I ever could have imagined it to be. I want you to hear the story. That's the call of our life. That's how we invite others to taste and see that the Lord is good. So as we move into this response, I'm, I pray that you would ask, ask the Spirit, what do you want me to say this week? What story do you want me to tell? I would even go as far as during this invitation time, ask the Spirit to put somebody in your mind's eye right now that when you see him this week, you'll know it's time to tell the story and point him to Jesus Christ. Let him taste and see just how good he truly is. Church, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the authenticity of it. Thank you that we have accounts like 1 Samuel 21. And David losing his mind on purpose seemingly to be deceptive to get out of a situation and somehow it's counted as glory to you and good for him if that's the case we got a lot of glory to give you God we surrender it all to you right now everything is available for you to use we tell the story for the story is all about you Help us to respond rightly to what we've heard and to give you all the glory for it. Jesus, it is in your powerful name that we pray and we now stand and respond and receive our offerings. Would you stand with me?